welcome to At The Root with Greg Kuiper. Greg is the psychotherapist and holistic life coach behind Kuiper Counseling. Through his professional practice and personal experiences, Greg knows that without connection to ourselves, connection with others is near impossible because emotional connection is at the root of healthy living. If you have a question or a comment, please feel free to call in. The number is 425-373-5527 or go to KuiperCounseling.com and you can learn more about Greg, his practice, and you can listen to past episodes of At The Root. Hello, Greg. Hello, Stacy. And how are you? I am doing well this week. That was quite the lively discussion last week. It was awesome. Yeah. You want yeah. to do the review about it this time? I normally review. Yeah, but, no, go for it. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I had a lot of positive comments. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting. So we had, um, I always talk, of course, and you, <laughs> but this time we invited uh, JD Whittakin to come on the show. He is the host of The Show Is All About You, which airs right before At the Root. And we are always talking about, um, emotions and connecting mm-hmm. and on these things and so you opened up the mic it was open mic night so to speak kind of and um we were looking at all kinds of angles about this it was interesting it was we didn't like, get anywhere <laughs> i mean we did but it's an ongoing thing yeah, yeah i think we were all discussing how that that we are that way you know that um uh, avoidant attachment style, if you want to call it that, or whatever, where we uh, we uh, had or have difficulty with emotion, expressing it, sharing it, and and we've had to work at that. And I see a lot of that in my practice. Oh yes, oh yeah, and it was it was great to see all of us and where we all talked about the different areas where it came from. Right. And, uh, and, you know, and how it plays out in our relationships. Yeah. It's typically from, oh, it can be from caregivers. It can be from teachers. It can be from bullying in school. It can be from just anywhere you have uh, experienced some kind of an emotional trauma or put down or, or whatever, you know, especially when you're very young. Those things really um, get ingrained early, right? Oh, yes. Well, and I think we kind of came to a conclusion a little bit that, that that we accepted this is like an ongoing, lifelong journey. Right, to, that's my point. Continue. We didn't get. <laughs> I mean, we got somewhere, but yeah. it's going to be an ongoing thing. Right, it's part of the the constant quest that that that's commonly referred to. Well, not commonly, but referred to as consciousness enlightenment. You know, and that's a big term that we're not going to go into here today, but. But at a basic level, it just simply means exploring emotions with a continuous awareness, which allows us to move forward positively, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Yeah. So we've been exploring emotional connection in our relationships with others, right? That's what we spent a lot of time with mm-hmm. the last few months and with ourselves, uh, those relationships. And we, we started out with working with committed couples in committed race, relationships, right? And we found that most, if not all, of the struggles partners encounter 
are based around the illusions of their past. This unconscious mechanisms put into place to counter the emotional and physical trauma of our earliest relationships and the accompanying ruptured attachment with caregivers. The resulting insecure attachment that comes out of that manifests in many, many, many ways throughout our life, right? Unconsciously messing up our daily lives with reactions and behaviors that don't bode well for, you know, relationships with others or with ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that because it's always such a heady conversation. So I'm trying to think of an analogy for people to really get it. So it's like, you know, when you're a kid, people tease you about your hair color. Mm -hmm. And so you, um, for years, then try to maybe cover it up or you do something to deflect from it, right? And you're creating this whole identity based around being bullied about your hair, yeah, it's the shame that comes from the bullying, mm-hmm. right? We we are shamed, and shame takes us to a place of, I guess I'm not good enough. I am. I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm wrong all the time. I'm never right. No one listens to me. I mean, we just go down that path, mm-hmm. uh, that shameful path. And um, when we need um, some kind of relief from that, we come up with some kind of a coping mechanism, right? We all do. Right. Whether it's alcohol and drugs or whether it's, uh, you know, being angry or or withdrawing. Right. I mean, so I'm obviously oversimplifying. So, you know, it's like, okay, so you're bullied about your hair. So you wear a hat or you shave your head or you do whatever. (laughs) Your whole life, you don't acknowledge what your hair color is. And then you're in a relationship with someone. And then you reach a point where you're tired and exhausted from keeping up with the this facade, facade. Yeah. and so right. you're like, <laughs> that's good though. That's so there's that, so that's the analogy, right? So there's the analogy, just to give people an idea of what you just said in very plain speak. Yeah, and at some point this comes to a head, right? More often than not, it's kind of tragic. You know, a relationship breaks up, or or we lose a job, or or you know we've got to go to treatment. I mean, things happen like that, and. And at that point, we're faced with a choice. We can carry on with this unconscious behavior that's not helping us, it's hurting us, Mm -hmm. or bring it into consciousness and figure it out, do something about it. In my work with couples, I typically find that the partners have developed these elaborately crafted patterns for dealing with the unconscious reactions and behaviors of their of the other, of their partner. Through criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling, these are Gottman's four horses of the apocalypse, each partner avoids accepting accountability and consciously. You know, and they're looking within themselves to find out what the hell is going on to keep this struggle perpetuated, mm-hmm. right? And when we get to the point of realizing the autopilot each is functioning on, finding what that autopilot is, and identify the triggers to each partner's unconscious illusions, 
we can get out of the critical loop and start to explore the illusions created in the past to protect us. In the process, finding the understanding that these illusions are now the source of our struggles in life. It's kind of a review of what we've been doing, right? Mm-hmm. This is a scary pace for people. The insecurely attached have practiced and practiced and practiced this behavior. It's part of their very existence, right? And now we're going to throw it out there. We're, we're going to throw this out and, and put it in its place something unknown? Really? Right. Talk That's about the plan? Major fear. Yeah. Like total loss of control. Where's my identity? Right. It's a very scary place. We've discussed how this all starts with awareness, and, and we're going to revisit that later in upcoming shows. But first, I, w- I would like to address the avoidantly attached individuals out there. We are everywhere. Yes, we are. Yes, I am one too. And now I know that through awareness, our attachment with ourselves, our connection can and will become secure. We can do this. And it's a very blissful place. Let's review what this avoidantly attached person's behavior looks like. Real quick here. So these people, these persons... They may seem to be uncaring and emotionless, isolated, appearing to be happy all by themselves. They don't listen very well, if at all, and consistently revert to fixing. You might see a strong desire for them to do everything themselves. Stay out of my way, I've got this. Most exhibit an attitude of pseudo-optimism, right? Get over it. It's no big deal. Suck it up. Move on. You're way too sensitive. Placing blame for the situations on their partner and their perceived weakness of that partner. Many avoidants are adept at helping others, making sure they appear caring in this process, right? Working hard to take care of everyone else in the family or their friends or in their career. I have a client that exhibits fairly extreme avoidantly attached behaviors and thoughts, and this person has been an ICU nurse for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. This, by the way, I just want you to know that this feels like an intervention for me. (laughs) (laughs) Again? (laughs) Yes. I'm like, check, check, check. Yeah, so everyone out there, you know anybody like this? I mean, there's two of us in a room (laughs) with three people right now. (laughs) I think there's three of us. Um, You can stop (laughs) counting now, okay? As I mentioned, we are everywhere. At the root of this is this ruptured attachment from the past and, and the lack of awareness. And we'll talk more about those important factors, but... At this time, I want to turn our focus for a while to a key lack in all of these avoidance. They don't experience emotions. Feeling, expressing, and sharing these emotions. And it's essentially because they don't know how. Unconsciously, this is a weakness to them. 
right? Although in, in consciousness, they may consider it a strength in order not to experience the pain of the weakness. Stoicism. Yeah, there you go. Hence, their ability to exhibit what can be perceived as compassion for others, right? We, we all admire those in caregiving professions for their compassion. You might be surprised to know that perceived compassion for many, not all, comes with an emotionless, emotionless existence. Ask their partners. This is not the case for all caregivers, of course. There, there are many securely attached caregivers. I am referring to the avoidantly attached among them in all professions, all areas of life, right? It is essential for continuing growth as an individual and, you know, in social and personal relationships to be comfortable with emotions. Why, you may ask. No, I don't. Go ahead. Because I'm avoiding it. <laughs> You're supposed to ask why. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. Why? <laughs> well, one reason is for our physical health, believe it or not. The late author and researcher, Dr. David Dawkins, showed us that energy level can be measured in a person's magnetic field and can affect actual cell life in our bodies, strengthening and building cells or eliminating them. So as we experience more positive emotions, this measurable energy level increases, becomes more. His research showed very clearly that cells actually died at energy levels measured below 200 on his scale, called the log level. Is that just a bump on a log? No, it's his log. Oh, The log, log of the... I thought it was called, like, the log level. Like No, no, okay. his log, you know, okay, he called, okay. it's his scale. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. My bad, sorry. <laughs> so below 200... Cells actually die in our body. So what emotions reside at an energy level of 200 or below? These are measured. Scorn, hate, anxiety, shame, regret, despair, blame, humiliation. Our physical health pays a price for negative emotions. Proven. Huh. Yeah. I reside there a lot. Well. I am a bump on a log. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. It yeah. is. It is. You know, and it, you can kind of see now as it ties into, you've heard about about autoimmune diseases and stress levels and yeah. anxiety breaking down our bodies. Well, this is what we're dealing with here. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're literally exhausted. Yeah. And we're, and we're destroying ourselves. Wow. Okay. And it's exactly the opposite for emotions that score high on the log level. 700, 500, 600, up there. We're talking about compassion, love, happiness, 
uh, optimism, all of those kind of things score really high. They're measured energy level. Mm-hmm. Those build cells. So, interesting, right? It is interesting. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. So, earlier on you mentioned uh, the avoidant type maybe focuses on others and Mm -hmm. doesn't want to go there themselves. Mm -hmm. So, if they have enthusiasm and excitement for someone else, but they're not having it for themselves, what happens with that? I don't know. It's a good question. Good question. Okay. <laughs> All right. But 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 we can kind of extrapolate there, right? That 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 any time you're experiencing a positive emotion in your body, in your mind, in your in you, you are building positive cells. Yes. Right. So whether it's for you or for somebody else. I I would imagine that's yeah, good. It's yeah. also exhausting to constantly be of service to others when you're not taking care of yourself. It's the whole oxygen mask thing, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we humans are innately social creatures. Connection, connection with others of our species is critical, necessary for our very existence. Without connection, we shrivel and die emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. We've determined that this crucial connection with others is based on the sharing of emotions as well as thoughts, experiences, memories, beliefs. Those are the things we share with others. And in so doing, we develop adequate ways of sharing these components of connection through an understanding of language, right, and verbal or written communication. A language is used. Mm -hmm. I ask you, How effective is this language of sharing without emotional input in the language? Can we exchange true meaning with each other with just words? Do I get to answer some of these or are these rhetorical? Yeah, hang on. (laughs) Okay. What about the facial expressions, right? The body language. The depth of meaning provided by emotional experience in the, in the sharing. I witness this, you know, I witness this every day in counseling partners and romantic relationships, especially in the younger generation. And, and some are doing this romantic relationships via text. LOL. Yeah. Well, no, I see it all the time. <laughs> I know. I have it's to terrible. Ask, I have to ask many times. Are you, when you're talking to this person, are you texting or are you vocally talking? Because I have to know. Mm-hmm. Well, this just doesn't work, right? It, it, it doesn't work. So, in addition to our written and spoken language, do we need an emotional language? Now you can answer. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go with yes. Yeah, well, in the in- research, endless research says yes, right? We have to have some kind of an emotional language. You touched on it really quickly last week where we talked about language and how parents spend so much time with flashcards and books and these kinds of things about colors and numbers and uh-huh. that, and that we don't spend nearly enough time, if any, talking about emotions. Right. It would be very handy to 
implement emotional flashcards into your children's, you know. I think we have a book. Growth and learning. There. I think we need to write a book. <laughs> I'm putting in for a patent right now, people, so don't okay. say anything. All right, go on. In the midst of fear or anxiety, right, our hearts and brains are wired to use our relationships to help us find balance that we need. So the best way is to share these difficult emotions with the people you're in relationships with. Susan Johnson, author and creator of Emotionally Focused Therapy, says it this way, I quote, Confiding helps us recognize our thoughts and responses, get clear about our priorities, receive new information and feedback, and feel comforted and calmed. Sharing these emotions requires an emotional language. Author and researcher uh, Brene Brown has done extensive research on this for 20 years. Over the course of five years, she asked participants in her workshops to list all of the emotions that they could recognize and name as they were experiencing them. So after 7,000 responses, she tallied it up, and the average number of emotions named was three. These emotions were happy, sad, and angry. So I quote her here when she asks, What does it mean if the vastness of a human emotion and experience can only be expressed as mad, sad, or happy? What about shame, disappointment, wonder, awe, disgust, embarrassment, despair, contentment, boredom, anxiety, stress, love, overwhelm, surprise, and all of the other emotions and experiences that define what it means to be human. What about them? Hmm. Sharing with our partner, sad, happy, and angry, are not going to help us reorganize our thoughts and responses, get clear about priorities, receive new information and feedback, and feel comforted and calmed. We need a more nuanced emotional vocabulary. So that is a primary learning for the avoidantly attached, right? As they reach the awareness of getting off of their autopilot, this is a big part of moving out of that Becoming aware and moving out of that avoidantly attached trap. I would just like to say for all of us avoidant attached people out there, with the happy and the sad and the angry, I think that it's very easy to pigeonhole. That mm. if I'm experiencing awe, then that's happy. You know what I mean? Sure. Like yeah. we we don't look at the gray. It's like it's black and white. Right. And, you know, like, eh, I'm sad. You know, this happened. I'm happy. Um and we just don't break it down enough. No, and that's what we're talking about yeah. here. How can we share with our partners, with another human being, the depth of what we're feeling and get comfort and support 
and a response if we're just happy. You sure? Yeah, I'm just happy. Here's an example. If When I'm working with avoidantly attached people in relationships or by themselves, whatever, if, if I ask, I'll stop people many times in the middle of a sentence and just say, how are you feeling right now? Right now, just tell me. And if I do that with an avoidant, more often than not, I get, good, I feel good. We're fine. Right. We're fine. And so the exploration begins. We're going to look more at what it's like to develop that vocabulary. I think that's where we're going to go. It's, it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm going to need some flashcards. Okay. <laughs> and skills, you know, and, and we'll, find, we'll be able to have some skills to learn this and help us as we move forward uh, along the way. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I am too. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Question mark. I, I'm feeling overwhelmed and oh, here we go. And ashamed that this is so difficult for me. And I'm feeling optimistic that perhaps I can move forward. And um, I'm feeling comforted that there is help in sight. There you go. Look at me. Look at you. All right. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> Well, you know, and, and it, being able to use a more nuanced vocabulary requires a lot of awareness, right? And that's where we're going to have to go with this, too, is being aware so that we can use that and recognize that nuanced vocabulary. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, if you, too, would like to work on these things, then continue to listen to At The Root. You can listen on really um, any platform that you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can go to KuiperCounseling.com and connect with uh, Greg. You can follow him on social media at Kuiper Counseling. And um, yeah, heady stuff here. But in the meantime, Greg, what do you always tell us? Everyone, just be aware out there. See you next week.